Hello and welcome. Today I am joined by Anthony Burns, who is physiotherapist and co-founder at eCovery, which we'll talk about later on. So Anthony, thank you for joining. No problem. Nice to be here. Glad to hear it. Although you did show me that mug before, so do you want to show us what mug you've got? Because I'm not overly impressed. <laughs> yeah. So I know you picked that just because I'm an Everton fan, but you know, it's I, I'm not quite as um, hostile towards the towards Liverpool anymore but you're a Liverpool fan then yeah yeah my dad's a my dad's a my dad's a scouser a proud scouser um yeah I was from I'm uh was uh born and brought up in Blackburn actually um but yeah I've always been brought up for red so uh yeah I've followed our our journeys over the last sort of 43 years so um yeah yeah it's been it's been quite the ride yeah, well, I think you you and I are a similar age just from looking at your, well, from what you're saying there, 43. So I was 44 last week. And but I remember like I used to, well, it was in the period when being an Everton fan, we had Joe Royal. That was, I had a season ticket around that time and we didn't lose a game to Liverpool, which was great. But Liverpool's just been just so much better than Everton for my entire, apart from at the very early stage, just like Gerrard and Fowler, even Owen, just, yes, daggers to your heart. I mean, uh, my my first real kind of era was 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 Kenny's era, you know. Um, yeah, the Kenny Dalglish team, you know, Steve McMahon and uh, that kind of era, and Alan Hampson, and and then moving on to the later eighties, obviously the 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 the, the eighty eight team, which was just you know amazing. So, uh, but then you know then then kind of observed the decline really um, into the ninety the nineties. And that would, you know, but like that's the that's the that's the journey of a football fan, really, isn't it? You know, you've just got to uh, you've just got to ride with it. But um, mm. yeah, yeah. See, so you you really young if you were doing those the, the ones in the sort of mid mid early eighties. I, I went to the Everton Liverpool four four. Remember, it was Kenny's last game, and it was a you know it was the the FA Cup replay, which is probably well, it's definitely the best game I've ever been to. It was amazing. It's we have, all of Liverpool's goals are brilliant. I think it's like Barnes, Beardsley, Rush, and um, Everton's were all absolute scrappy affairs. Like Cotty and Sharp got two each. But yeah, they, I've got su- such good memories of even though Everton were poor, it was just yeah, great, great times going to Goodison and Anfield a couple of times. So you went to that four-four game. You, you were I was at the four-four. Yeah. So it was like my brother and I and a few mates was right on the Gladys Street, right at the front. We used to turn up really early to to go to those, but yeah, that was that was definitely one of the best. We had the feeling of an end of an era that game for for, for a red, you know, a red persuasion. I just had the feeling when like there's a fairly iconic moment when I think the fourth goal goes in for Everton and Canelo just like slumps down in the in the dugout and you're like, yeah, that's kind of possibly any done for this job, you know, sort of thing. Um, yeah. And he did go, didn't he? He did. He did resign after that four-four because it come off the. He'd been going to all of the funerals at Hillsborough, hadn't he? So I guess it was just like he'd been carrying a massive weight, and then, yeah, it, well, it literally was an end of an era, wasn't it? Went once once he'd gone. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, and then uh, yeah, and then and then a, and a, a barren period. So uh, yeah, where it, it didn't didn't come again until what was it two or three years ago when uh, when we won the league. Yeah. Yeah. No, is it again? I'm not quite as bitter. When you're at school and you've got like that, Everton, everyone was Everton or Liverpool really in, at school, and it's horrible, isn't it? Going in, fortunately, Everton were did okay then, 
so it wasn't too bad and I'm not quite as hostile. Liverpool have been brilliant for the last few seasons and we do supply them with more stuff than Everton actually but anyway that's that's a different thing. Um, so no it's it's really interesting. We could do a whole podcast on this. I love talking about the uh, the, the time especially the 90s and noughties. I just absolutely loved that era. Yeah we're very lucky in this country to have the Premier League and be so invested in it and yeah it's just just an unbelievable competition isn't it you know it's just uh but I mean I've, I've been football mad since I was a kid so I don't know about you Andy but uh absolute football mad you know um, mm. so yeah you, you have to tear me off a game sometimes and, and playing and watching you know I've always I've always loved watching just as much as playing you know but um yeah absolutely football mad um so is that one of the things which one made you want to get into physio or how, how did that come about? No, no, no. Um, I've always just been like, as a kid, I just like, I mean, I had, a, I had an amazing childhood. Like we lived in this small um, village outside of Blackburn uh, called Belthorne. Um, and it was on a top of a hill. Um, and it was this like little community. And it was just an amazing place to grow up as a kid. Uh, got like five. We're we're a family of five uh, in terms of like, I've got four older sisters, um, and it was just an amazing place to grow up. So it was a proper child of the eighties sort of thing, because yeah, uh, it was quite a small place, but it was on the edge of the moors in you know, Blackburn. You'd just go out for the day with your mates, uh, you know, four or five of you, and you'd go out to the moors and explore. There's like old mines and like as in old coal mines and all this kind of stuff and like you just go out trekking and stuff and then you'd come back you'd play football for four hours with your mates and and then you'd go home and uh, or like you'd, you'd walk down the street and I'd might pop in for tea with like Ruth and Cliff who are our neighbours next door do you know what I mean and you'd get home and it, your mum would be like you know your mum would be like do you want tea I'd be like I've just had it at Ruth and Cliff's actually and you know Ruth was there like oh come on tell me all about your day and stuff like oh we're doing this yeah, that was that was it. And then, uh, but football was an integral part of all of that, you know, because we we lived next to like school was about a minute away, and uh, so yeah, it was just yeah, it was just that was kind of what 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 we did then really, um, mm. and uh, so so yeah, it was just a great childhood really. Yeah, no, sound very similar. I can definitely empathise with with all of that stuff. It was really good being able to go and kick a ball about with your mates. So, and then when you were at school then, so what was the, did you have any sort of plan in terms of what you wanted to do when you were doing GCSEs or on to A-levels? No, 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 I, I wasn't very academic as a kid, really, which isn't probably something good to admit, really. But um, yeah, I wasn't very academic. I was, um, I was, like I said, I was just obsessed with like, you know, football, outdoor play, being with my mates sort of thing. And then um, I, I got on to a, so I went to school, you know, I, I did all right, but I always got the feeling and I always got the feedback that I could do better. Um, and um, so I went to, I went to, to, you know, I went to school, college and stuff. And then I went to do a degree uh, in sports technology, actually, um, which was which was OK. Um, and it was there's no problem, but it wasn't what I wanted to do because I don't think I know I don't know what a sports technologist is. Do you know what I mean? Uh, but it was a very new course. It was like, yeah, OK, let's do that. Um, and then finished that and then moved to Leeds. And then um, a lot of my friends were in uni in Leeds, um, and it's not that far from where I was from. So I uh, moved there, stayed there for two years and just had the time of my life. I'd really, really just had the time of my life. And I kind of 
worked out you know what I wanted to do uh in that period where it was like you know what what am I going to do with the rest of my life sort of thing and then it was a case of well you know I want a, I want a job that um where I can help people um I want a job where I can use my brain um I've always been fascinated by science uh, and the human body and stuff and biology that was always the school the subject at school that got me going sort of thing um and I wanted a job where I wasn't an office job you know like I could use my hands and you know a very practical job uh and that kind of really I just thought well that's that's physiotherapy really um and because I've got um the um the degree in sports technology I could get onto the course um so I got offered a an MSc in Aberdeen, uh, pardon me, um, but Aberdeen, have you ever been to Aberdeen? It's it's a, it's a long way north, isn't it? <laughs> I had no idea. I had no idea. Like, I was going as a very naive. I went, you know, on the train. I was like, OK, right, it's going to stop soon. And it never did. And I just thought this is a long way from home. Uh, and also I got a place in Manchester. Um, in, in and and I got a BS. I got offered a BSc in Manchester, and a lot of people were saying, "Well, you should take the MSc because it's two years and and whatever, and and it's you know an MSc." And I just thought, well, it, it's possibly three years for a reason, um, and it's a lot closer. And Manchester, what a great place to to have a uni experience, sort of thing. Uh, so yeah, that was that was kind of how I. That's how I kind of uh, found myself. Uh, you know, going down the physiotherapy route, really. Was that Abibor Johannes? Was he involved with that? Remember that name? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I, the reason I ask that is, it's got, I mean, it's a, it's a memorable name, isn't it? But I remember because I was working for IPRS, it was my old employer, and I went in talking about trying to sell him some Biodex kit or some other technology. And then he kind of spun it on me and was like trying to get me to sign up to do a master's or a BSc or something. And like went and told my boss, who was a physio, and he's like, you're going to be the salesman here doing this and he's you've come out thinking actually no i need to sign up for this two-year part-time course so yeah no that was because he, he was what was he part of your course then yeah yeah that sounds very much like i'm about that um yeah he was a he was a tutor and um, what, what did he what did he teach um i remember uh he, well he was more research focused was out about but, um but yeah he had a he definitely had a sales streak in him um he really did uh and he did i think he did my interview actually um carol thatcher i think and and Abibel. and then yeah i think it was carol and Abibel actually did, did my interview um because not every physiotherapist um uh course uh did an interview uh so leeds did an interview um and and you know because i was having such a good time in leeds and i'd lived in leeds leeds was the sort of sensible place for me to um to, to, to apply for um but uh yeah 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 he was a he was a he was a, he was a proper legend at manchester was out yeah no it's funny I, was, I really do remember that that's probably about 13 or 14 years ago now um but it's going back to the sports tech one because i think because i was at alsager at the same time you were there 97 to 2000 weren't you and so we we probably used to go to like Valentino's on a Monday night occasionally, I guess, at the that's which memorable for, for different reasons. But what was part of the sports tech? What what actually did you do on that course? So it was a very new course and it was just to um it was just to learn about the technology that underpinned sport and um you know, things like 
you know, materials and, um, you know, the materials that make up certain products. And um, I think I ended up doing a, uh, my dissertation on, um, uh, we had some computer software, which basically, um, uh, I did it on stadium safety. Um, and using some computer software like different methods to improve crowd safety and things like that so it was just it was stuff like that really stuff around sport uh, but it was very new course and they were just finding a way with it really I think we were the first ones actually um, and so I'm not sure if it's still running or whatever but that was kind of um, that that was really what it was all about um, uh, you know like yeah about the materials and the products around sport and sport and activity really was it helpful when you did your physio course having done that yeah it was it was just because i knew the process do you know um you know I, I yeah i just knew the process i knew the process of independent learning but um but to be fair uh it was um physiotherapy was a different beast because i was where nothing had really captured my attention before as a as a child growing up at school because I was always obsessed with other things. Um, physiotherapy just completely captured me. It just completely enraptured me because I was like, you know, I remember sitting there sometimes in in um, in my um, in my classes and you know it'd be like it'd be like right okay for the next three weeks we're going to learn about the the knee or something and i remember thinking in class sometimes um i'm getting paid to like because we were um at that time you were you were given an nhs bursary um and uh you know so obviously age studies and stuff and it was like oh um i'm getting paid to learn about the knee which is amazing because i'm so fascinated by it um and so for someone who'd had kind of a very mediocre academic career to that point to be getting feedback like oh you're doing really well and you know getting great marks and stuff um it was it became like a a, a really positive cycle uh, where it was just like yeah it just further entrenched my belief that i'd chosen the right thing to do do you know uh, the right sort of career um so yeah and what were the other people like? Bearing in mind you were a mature student, what were the what was the general breakdown of the of the other students? Yeah, there, 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 there was a lovely kind of mix really of um, uh, of mature students. I was like, I was about twenty four, I think then, uh, twenty three. I might be twenty three or twenty four, something like that. Um, and um, yeah, we were kind of seen as the kind of more mature kind of. Uh, father figures sort of thing and mother figures of the of the of the group you know like our sort of age group and there were loads of of youngsters there like sort of 19 year old fresh out of college just really because Manchester's an amazing place isn't it it's just you know to go to uni there as a as an 18 year old when you've just arrived must be like from uh from a quite small village somewhere must be like oh my word sort of thing um and so you'd come in and you know you'd try and help them out with like you know what are we doing today you, do you know what i mean that kind of thing so um but there was a really nice mix actually and also it was one of the biggest um cohorts i think it might be the biggest cohort in uh, in the country at the time um and we had our own like independent campus um so it, it just it was quite intense you know because there wasn't any other 
sort of dissipation of any other groups and whatever and other courses. Um, so, uh, so yeah, there was a really nice mix actually, and I still keep in touch with a lot of them now. Um, yeah, what sort of things have they gone on to do then? Uh, oh, all sorts. Um, got loads of people who've um, been. Um, I was at my friend uh, Nick's uh, the other week. He's become uh, he well a lot like um, you know my best mate Gav, uh, pediatric uh, physiotherapist. Um, most of them went on to become physios, obviously, uh, very vocational courses, isn't it? Um, uh, and then sort of specialised in their own different areas. Um, and then we had quite a few international students, actually. A lot, lot went back, obviously, to, to their home. Um, and then, uh, yeah, a, a lot. Um, and um, the uh, Joey used to live with, she set up her own business and actually that just romped on. So she set up a sideline um, in, um, uh, she set up a netball league uh, just as a sideline to, to a physiotherapist studies, but it got so big that she, she I think uh, she just did that ongoing sort of thing um so yeah quite quite a lot of very but obviously a lot that did just go on to become uh physiotherapists because that's obviously what we wanted to do really and then so when you were coming to the end of that then did you have an idea of the environments that you wanted to go into no i thought i wanted to do strobe rehab actually because um my um really close family friend uh christine um she was a um, she was a, a, a stroke physio, and I went up to see her. In, um, she, they live in uh, Newcastle at this time, and so I went up to see her before I started physiotherapy. Um, and I thought I wanted to do that, um, but um, it you re it required like have you ever had any dealings with with with, with neuro rehab? Um, yeah, not 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 extensively, no. It requires incredible patience, and um, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't think I'm an impatient person, but um, it requires incredible patience and uh, incredible analytical skills. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, I just thought maybe, maybe I want something a bit more faster paced, if you like. Um, and then MSK just kind of gradually sort of became a focus for me and uh you know I just kind of was fascinated by uh by it really and uh you know I've never sort of lost that really. So what were the what was your first environment that you went into post study? Uh, where did we go? Uh I was well there was a jobs crisis at the time because uh, it was a gender for change um had just uh, taken um, hold and so yeah there's a bit of a jobs crisis so there was there was talk in the um, uh, in the cohort that like listen we're not going to get jobs because uh, I think what had happened is the gender for change had happened and then that meant that there was a um, basically they stopped um, hiring people for one year and that year was just before us um, so essentially two years worth of uh, physios were trying to apply for one year's worth of jobs when when we qualified um so we got me and my best mate gav we got jobs at um uh airedale uh, for six months um, which is um do you know keith lick at all um, I, I, I know i know the hospital yeah yeah it's quite quite a small district general but an amazing place to start your career sort of thing uh, Kelvin was my boss and Mark was um, my senior there and he was amazing. Um, visually impaired physio actually, just absolutely 
absolutely amazing physio um, and so was Kelvin and really great team there. Um, so that was a lovely place to start. But then it was only temporary seats. So then when we got offered permanent jobs, Gav got one in Norwich, I got one in uh, North Tees um up in Yarm near 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 Hartlepool. Um and so I went up there for two years and uh uh yeah although actually around that time me and Gav got offered jobs uh in Florida uh, actually when we qualified. Um uh we we'd we'd got um the minute we qualified because we were desperate for physios in America at the time um and uh we'd, we'd we'd got the jobs the company wanted to fly us over and all that sort of stuff pay for our visas and things it was I think it was like sixty thousand dollars a year or something, and we were like, okay. Um, and so we were all set. Um, but but I met my wife, my now wife Helen, at that time, and um, so I, I just didn't want to leave, really. Uh, obviously, um, and, uh, and 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 it just and also another thing, me and Gav were a bit worried that if we went and then we came like we just might not be able to come back and work in the NHS because we wouldn't have had any NHS experience so that was always a bit of a a little sort of thing in the background worrying about that scenario with taking the Florida sort of thing um so yeah we stayed um and uh yeah that was that was our sort of first taste in well my first taste in in uh in the NHS and what made those the bosses that you had at Airdale? What made them like you spoke really highly of them? What was it in particular about those guys that was made them such good managers? They, yeah, it's a bit of a really good question. And um, I think it was just they were just they were they were really caring. They were really thoughtful. They were really um, happy to give of their time. They they were passionate about the career. They were passionate about helping people. Um, often they worked in difficult circumstances because, you know, we all know sort of NHS funding and things. Um, so they worked incredibly hard in incredibly difficult circumstances sometimes. And, you know, just, yeah, you know, you just had the feeling that you were working for people who actually just genuinely cared about delivering a great service and, and you want to work with people. Well, I, I you know, I, I want to work with people like that. Um, and uh, so, yeah, those were kind of the traits, really, but also good clinicians, you know, really, really good clinicians. So, like, obviously, you're, you're like a sponge when you've just qualified because uh, physiotherapy is a bit like um, a bit like driving. You know, you, you pass your test, but <laughs> but, you, you, you know, you're not you're not safe on the road sort of thing. Uh, and my experience of physiotherapy was the same. You know, it's just like, yeah, you pass your test, you're, you're, a, you're a physiotherapist, but really you've got about well, you've got a life long learning contract that you kind of sign really when you when you when you become a physiotherapist but or or any sort of like healthcare job i would i would imagine um yeah so uh that that's kind of just what made them really really good people really mm. yeah no it's always good to hear when someone speaks so positively about people certainly early on in your career it makes a massive difference of either reinforcing that you're in the right profession or potentially turn against you which a few people i've spoken with have, have had experiences in both 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 of those sides so wh where did you go on to after you'd done the was it north tees you went and then before after you decided to not go to america yeah, yeah so i've done um i went to north tees for two two years so i did my junior rotations there um worked with again some amazing people like steve pet and all sorts of other great people there uh, did my rotations 
so that was like four monthly rotations um but i was living apart from helen at the time um and so um yeah once i'd done my rotations after a couple of years it was like right i've you know this has achieved for me what you know i wanted to sort of achieve up there and i felt i'd done everything and the next position after that was a senior role or becoming a senior and working towards that um so then i took a job down uh, where i now live near where i now live in leeds um and I've, I've worked i've worked in leeds ever since basically but um so i worked for a further five years at uh, mid york so i think it was four or five years um and then i've been at at Nuffield in Leeds for the last eight or nine, I think. Um, so yeah, but um, Mid York was awesome as well because um, at Dewsbury, um, that was a small sort of district general. Again, like again, you just. Um, but there were some amazing clinicians there, like Adele Fanning, Joe Duncan, Nush Dudson. You know, like some brilliant, forward-thinking, like really fantastic clinicians who you can learn off. Although in-service training was a bit worrying around that time because if ever I had to do it, I was always worried because you know, you know, when you're like delivering a, a presentation to some like, you know, um, you know, some just some really people like some some great physios you admire a lot. Let's say, you know, you're just like, okay, I hope this goes well, sort of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. And then, so were you you were doing MSK work? Was there any particular area? Was it just a general outpatients that you were working on? Uh, I was working very much with. Um, I, I did do that. I, I did do some um, work in the departments there. So uh, we had we had MSK departments in the fields and at Dewsbury. Uh, I worked a lot in rheumatology as well with Mark. Uh, who again was great. Uh, learned a lot there. And but then really, my my prime focus was in the gym. Um, so I worked a lot in the gym, uh, which was really good because, um, you know, in the NHS it's pushed for time, but in the gym you 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 got some quality time with patients. Uh, saw some really complex trauma patients, like uh, you know people with like pilon fractures and all sorts of like really rare stuff that you wouldn't normally see. Um, and um, yeah, so I spent a lot of time in there in the end, which is why I stay for so long really, because um you know maybe I, I wasn't i wasn't progressing in terms of kind of like um band six band seven sort of thing but i was progressing clinically um a lot at that time so i stayed probably maybe a year or two um you know too long if you like but really i was i was i was enjoying learning so much that i, I just stayed really for in the gym that was mm. um, yeah, and how different was it when you were doing the work in Nuffield then compared to the, was that the first work you'd done outside of the NHS? Yeah, so yeah, because that point, I think I've worked, yeah, for the, I think I worked for the NHS about seven or eight years at that point, so I felt I'd paid off the bursary, do you know, like, because uh, you've got that feeling where you feel like, right, okay, I've you know, I've got to work for the NHS, not got to, but, you know, I want to ensure that I feel like I can say, yeah, I earned, you know, I, I earned that money back for the, the NHS sort of thing. Um and then, yeah, working for Nuffield is very different. Um, but, you know, just you get more time with patients and things like that, really. And um, uh, so, yeah, it is it is it is different. There's no doubt about it. Um, but uh, in many ways, there's it, it, it's the same in a sense that, um, it, it, you know, it's all about that 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 connection. It's all about trying to uh, trying to improve someone's um you know state of health and trying to move them from one 
stage to another and um so the job's the same but you know the, the conditions are different there's no doubt about that mm. yeah and then in terms of like the nuffield's an interesting one isn't it because it's a charitable organization but it's still still run as a commercial company and so like that is these is one of the bigger bigger ones for, for nuffield isn't it is that right yeah 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 it's, it's probably a flagship one um yeah we we've got a critical care unit and and all sorts of stuff they do they do heart surgery as well there and stuff like that so uh yeah it's a, it's a massive hospital um and it's next to the lgi so um and so you you know for a private hospital you get a lot of experience um plus um you know i got i was lucky enough to get about three or four promotions a lot of like different roles within the field so um you know i always felt like i was i was progressing or doing more or getting more experience you know so um so yeah it, it is it's a it's a massive organization um uh but yeah yeah it was yeah it's, it's, it's really good really not really nice place to work and then in terms of like the promotions and so were they all within clinical roles or were they like moving into management or how did they work um, yeah, well, the, so I, I went in as a senior physio uh, therapist, and then um, we had um, uh, we had triage roles there, um, which is um, so that was kind of like breaking up the breaking up the week really with some uh, uh, treating patients, or, well, not treating patients, but listening to patients and their subjective histories on on the phone and stuff. Um, and helping them work out what to do uh, and that was one and then um, I got uh, promoted to an advanced level physiotherapy role so that was um, that was a bit more intense more time with patients um, you know referring on for investigations and things uh, enjoyed that um, and then and then the regional clinical lead at the time uh she went on to maternity leave and um so I, I i was asked to apply so i did um and uh yeah uh, i got it so um i was doing that for uh well for about about a year actually i think in the end uh, and that was that was managing a lot of physios up in the north so i'd have to manage because by this point nuffield had bought loads of gyms um to supplement the, the hospital network um, and so obviously we had physiotherapists within those gyms and we didn't, um, you know, someone had to sort of manage them clinically and, you know, so it's really quite varied sort of challenging role really, you know, sort of like dealing with uh, people's career development, uh, like complex cases, teaching, uh, dealing with potentially sometimes, not, not often, but complaints and uh, doing things like root cause analysis and stuff. So um, it really took, Took me out of my comfort zone, really. Um, although my, on my first day on the on the uh, on the uh, RCL job, I got an email. Uh, literally, I mean, literally, I logged on, and then I, like about an hour later, I, I got an email from the physio at Barrow in Furness, who I'd never met, uh, just saying, "Oh, I've just handed in my notice." <laughs> I was like, "Right, okay, uh, this is uh, yeah." I mean, I don't think it's anything I've done, but uh, this is uh, right, okay. This is this is a new a new step. And obviously, I'd never had anything like that to deal with before in my career so I was a bit like right okay this is going to be a steep learning curve and it, and it was but it was good uh, so yeah I mean it's an interesting one with that and it's not just in the clinical world as well but when people do well in their jobs say it's as a physio in, in this instance and then you get promoted into a managerial role what are your thoughts on that do you think it should be someone who's clinical and knows the job because it's, it's always talked about in the NHS that 
should people be managers should manage manage managers manage specific managers or is it better to promote people from within uh, i mean there's no definitive right or wrong but what are your thoughts on that i don't know uh, i think it's it, it's really it's really it's really tough one it really is because um you know there's the rationale that clinicians are clinicians and that's what their focus is and whatever and that they don't make good managers because they don't um uh think about the strategy and it's more about the patient and whatever and but then you can definitely see it from the other side that like sometimes it's like you've, you've got to understand from a clinical perspective why something works my my own personal perspective is that um clinicians can make fantastic managers because the best the best managers that i've ever had were all clinicians um and I think that, like, uh, you know, I always wanted to, when I was managing for, for the uh, clinicians that I was kind of keeping an eye on, was that um, they knew that I was still a physiotherapist in the time that I wasn't doing that job. So I didn't do it all the time. You know, I, I did it like part, part, day, part during the week sort of thing. Uh, and I always wanted them to know that, listen, I, I really enjoy this job. I really enjoy treating patients. So because then I think that you can feel a little bit more like, oh, all right, OK, the, 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 you know, this person's on the coal face with me sort of thing, rather than sort of preaching from up on high sort of thing. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Like by that sort of thing. Um, so, um, yeah, and I'm trying to sort of uh, speak to a couple of staff members at the minute about, listen, this is a great job. It can sometimes get tiring because with our job, um, you know, you're giving a lot of yourself every day, you know, emotionally, it can be quite draining um, when you've got 15 patients and you're um, you're trying to work out how you can help all those patients and, and trying to work out their plans and their re rehab plans and things. So, yeah. there's you know, it's definitely a burnout thing, you know, with um, clinicians, I think. Yeah, and then so like in terms of other roles, I know that like you've we've spoken before about e-covery. Like, just you talk to me about how that came to be. Uh, how did it come about? Really well, it was more about um, it, it. It it was about four years ago. Um, I think it was four years ago. Um, I had I had four patients in one week. Um, and they all had exactly the same presentation. Um, now, I've been hearing, you know, I've heard obviously thousands of stories over the years about how patients can find, you know, the right clinicians help them with their problem or the journeys that they've had to get to different points. And um, so one week I had four patients who were um, male and female you know just different um different people and uh all playing different sports um felt a pop felt a twist in their knee felt significant pain uh lots of swelling couldn't carry on um and then pain quickly settled um went to a and &E. um no this isn't criticism of a &E, by the way because it's really really difficult to assess if not impossible to assess a, uh, an acute result with me um but it's it's an observation that that's what happened sort of thing um and then uh, after two weeks uh, they all went back to playing their respective sports and then suffered what later transpired for them to be a more catastrophic second injury 
Um, and I just was struck by the fact that, right, these people all have the exact same um, uh, story. And, and what's that about? Why, why is the system so broken that that's the case? Um, and then, you know, then we just got thinking about it and um, I've just got thinking about it and thinking about it and why that would be the case, you know. And then um, I just thought I had an idea. I thought I could work uh, because a lot, a lot of what we're taught in our job and certainly as time's gone on and my career's gone on and I've learned is that actually about 90 percent, I think, about uh, of how to work out what's wrong with someone is in the story that they tell. Uh, is in the symptoms, uh, is in what happened, how did you do it, how do those symptoms relate to each other, and what time of day do they come on, what, how, you know, what, what's, do you have any other risk factors for any other problems, um, uh, what's your previous medical history, all this kind of stuff, uh, what stage are you in your injury um, or, or, or your issue, um, and all that plays a part, and you can actually work out what's going on a lot of the time, um, if you, um, sorry, if my phone's going off here. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, you can often work out what, what, what's going on. So it was a case of, well, um, I just had an idea. And so I went to Simon, uh, who's uh, I was really close with. Uh, he's a clinician I really admire. He's a shoulder surgeon uh, based in York. And I just went to him and I said, Simon, do you think this could work? Um, if we had a form online where a patient could tell us about their problem and if we'd done enough research on where they could go um you know do you think that would work and we just talked it through and, and, and that's how it kind of started really and so what that was they fill the form and talking about what what happened and then what the symptoms of when they have the the pain or whatever is that is that what it is or is it just when when the actual problem occurred yeah well it was basically the fact that if you think about it, like we tried to break it down. This is just from our point of view. This is just how we thought about the problem. We thought, well, well there's, a, there's a problem there. How can we try and solve it? Or is there a way to solve it? Um, and we were thinking that, right, okay, well, if a patient has got a problem, so say, for example, uh, if we just say, right, so say, for example, 18-year-old Jack, you know, sort of thing, he dislocated his shoulder six months ago and then um, was treated, but then he's left with a clicky, unstable, painful shoulder, right? Um, all that Jack knows is that his shoulder's clicky, unstable and painful, but really the two problems that we see that a patient has is not knowing what their issue is likely to be and then not knowing where to go about it. And when we looked at it, we thought that all the other options that are available out there can help you solve one of those problems. Um, and sometimes not even one of those problems, um, but none try to address both problems, which is to try and work out as early as possible in, a, you know, the minute a patient is reaching out for help, what um, their issue is likely to be. And because if you take a detailed enough history, you can actually work it out what 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 a, what a, what a, or you can have a good idea um digitally it's it, it's hard to say yes it, it is this like say for example um with someone who's dislocated the shoulder six months ago you know you're not going to be able to say they've got a bank heart tear or something like that but you're going to say well actually there's a high likelihood that they need to see a soft tissue shoulder surgeon who specializes in instability um and that was another part of the problem which is 
where they go about it and it's helping it's trying to help that because if you when you've worked in the industry for a long time you, you start to see that actually different clinicians have got different skills and different skill sets so um you might look at the field leads hospital and say all right there's eight knee surgeons there for instance but actually three of them specialize in soft tissue knee injuries and four of them specialize in uh, joint replacements uh, or, or uh, and such like so um and then you start to see how complex this can be and if their issue is a like say for example a rheumatology problem or then that becomes even more complex um so the earlier in that process that you can get um a really good clinical opinion and um, you potentially could help them uh solve both of those problems um and then really we just tried it and we said well does it work um so uh four years ago just just we just never stopped working on it me and simon and then uh and, and it grew from there really and it's not it's not stopped since really um and we have you know we've we've had so many people come through and such lovely feedback and such great feedback um but because because another thing is that once we would have this feedback from patients coming through we had to be like well okay that's great um but actually did we get them in the right place because it's nice that they feel initially yeah that was great you know you've really helped me out thank you um but then it was a case of but actually did you end up in the right place did you actually have the treatment we thought because it's pointless if you then had to go somewhere else um and that was the feedback we were getting that actually they ended up in the right place um so then we were just like right well we think we're onto something here and then we just carried on building it really and have you got a particular vision as to where you wanted to get to um not yeah it sounds a bit naive really but um yeah not really i mean i think we just um we we're we're obviously past the sort of we feel we're past the proof of concept stage and and, and that's definitely uh, there i think the technology um is exciting because um where it's at the minute um it, it's not needed to be you know based on uh, how are you going to process hundreds of thousands of users um but the technology that we're building now would be able to do that um and we'll we'll, we'll sort of show how um that could be achieved um by using technology because um you know by using tech and um you know good clinicians and and, and really rigorous um data set you're like yeah okay that 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 really could work and so that's the exciting bit of the minute really and um but it's been a lot of hard work it's been you know like a lot of hard work i mean you'll know you, you you're on your own um business it's it's not um it's a lot of work um but it's been fun because i, I you know I, I really believe that it that it that it, well you know it, it works because that's the feedback we're getting so um uh yeah the vision really is just just to carry on developing it really and, and um uh, so we're at the stage where we're developing the technology right now so um yeah i mean i can't talk too much about that but um yeah that, that's 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 literally where we are at, at present so we'll just keep building it and, and uh yeah yeah no it sounds really exciting the feedback i've heard outside of you has been great as well so it's commendable to, to come up with anything it definitely is challenging doing that what do you think you've learned then what what the skills that you've learned from from the last four years of doing it um resilience i think is one you know um just um 
yeah, just um, hard work is, is is absolutely imperative. I think I think genuinely is just a belief that you that you feel it's the right thing to be doing. Um, because me and Simon set off when we were like, right, well, it, it you know, it, it impartiality is absolutely critical to it. Um, so it, it's pointless if you go on to um, our website and, you know, uh, someone's just paid us to, uh, you know, it's the impartiality thing and we wanted it to be free because we, we didn't want a paywall. It's, you're not going to solve the problem if you put a paywall there. Um, so we wanted it to be just lovely and simple and free. Um, and so just trying to work around those challenges and um, but has required hard work and resilience, but none of that would have happened if I didn't and, and Simon didn't like really believe in it and um, and just think that, yeah, actually that 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 is a that is a, a viable solution. Um, so yeah, just that just that determination maybe is the right word. Mm. And then just in, in physio in general, then what do you think are the other non-clinical skills that make someone a good good physio clinician? Yeah, communication definitely is um, you know, you can be the best, yeah, you can be the best, you can be the most studious person in the world, but if you can't communicate to a patient about what's wrong, you know, then you, you you're gonna really struggle, I think. Um and um, you know, uh yeah, so I, I I definitely think communication is is absolutely imperative, and it's not it's not easy actually because um, it's not easy at our job because there's a lot to learn and like no one makes it easy because like even just like the muscles are all in Latin, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like just even that, you know, even that is like it's not easy to remember all these muscles and things like that. Um, so yeah, it, it takes a lot of um termination but yeah communication is imperative i think it is difficult i remember doing my i think maybe was it was my a levels doing pe i think yeah it's pe and trying to learn no it was maybe it was in gcse actually like we did the skeletal system and that was could get that and i always had a good memory of whatever it was but then i was away for when we did like the muscular side and i never i just always found it really difficult to get back after that but it is really complicated isn't it yeah yeah, it, it really is. Um, and uh, I mean, I've, I've learned a lot, actually, because um, we um, we set up a, a, a sports injuries clinic at the um, a, a, the hospital about four years ago. Um, Alistair Jones, who you might know, um, he's the head of medical at Leeds Rhinos. He, so I, I, my point is that I spend a lot of time with him on a, on a Friday afternoon in clinic with him. Uh, and his surface anatomy and his palpation skills are off the scale. So um uh yeah like <laughs> what did he teach me the other week we, we had a patient and we thought well um, um, we were right he'd ruptured his distal biceps and um uh, but we could feel some gristle for want of a better word at, at, at his distal um uh in his uh, cubital fossa and, and it was like well what's that and, and i was like oh, is this a lacertus and i was like i've never even never even heard of Lacerts, you know, and it's just like, uh, so just these things, but you've got, but then our job, you've got to accept that, you've got to accept that you can't, you know, you've just got to accept that every day is a school day, um, and that you're just learning constantly. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, it's very, very difficult, but, uh, but very, very rewarding. Um, and that's, 
that's the thing about the job it's it's rewarding and um, so it gives back a lot uh, to to anyone who puts the the work into to, to get it but it's very competitive as well um so it's not easy now you have to work hard so i guess hard work and communication skills are kind of two uh absolute imperatives really yeah and then in terms of for you to like switch off i know you you kind of you're doing your work in in nuffield as well as doing e-covery as well so like what do you do to switch off like have you i love professional development books and, and reading in general but like do you do any of that yeah i do actually um like podcasts i was listening in fact around the time when um about four years ago when we were thinking of recovery we um i was listening to um have you heard of, um how i built this by guy raz i've not actually oh, really good podcast uh, really good podcast uh he, he interviews people like james dyson um and all the other kind of like business figures who've gone on to build different companies and whatever and um uh, so i was listening to a lot of, uh, of that at that time so that's good and um I, I like doing um my own investments and stuff like that so i'm, I'm always fascinated by finance and things so i but i do that in more my sort of hobby really um but yeah i do that kind of stuff i mean obviously i'm still a massive football fan and playing with the kids and all that kind of stuff so i've got plenty to fill my time as i'm sure yeah. you have what would you recommend from that just from a if you were going to recommend one or two whether it's not podcasts say but like other other bits of things to read or do, i don't know if you use blinkist but i love blinkist which is it summarizes books for you so i do loads of professional development books and it does it in like 15 minutes it's audio or in text um but i'm always looking for sort of books that can be that are quite useful that i can get on blinkist and then you power through them in an hour and i make notes on it but are there any professional development books that you think would be that have made an impact they're probably not the ones that like professional development books really i mean i'm yeah i'm more like um i read stuff like uh the intelligent intelligent investor and stuff like that um stuff like uh the essays of warren buffett is an amazing book um i don't even know who he is but he's an absolute legendary investor um and a lot of his kind of teachings he, he's known as the sage of omaha he's the, he was anyway i think he's like the second richest bloke in the world but the reason he is is because he's just such a wonderful businessman and with a wonderful sort of like um uh um uh investor really um so he's got a lot to learn and uh, he's got a lot to teach and, and and reading about him is wonderful uh, but then glenn arnold has done a lot of um written a lot of books about um the great investors and stuff so i, I love reading about all that kind of stuff really um we're just kind of fascinated by it more than anything um, yeah that's that's interesting actually because it's uh, investments is, is is definitely something of interest. like warren buffett is is a legend and he's he's one of the richest men in the world because like what are your thoughts on crypto because i know he's not a big fan of it at all is he no no he would he would say um and uh yeah he would say that it has no intrinsic value and because it's got no intrinsic value it, 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 it it's you're playing the greater fool theory so you're you're buying something in the hope that someone else may pay more for it, and they may do. So you may you may you may make a profit on that, but you don't know it. Whereas if you buy shares in companies that have got uh, solid fundamentals, um, then you 
much more likely to uh, have a positive outcome, really. So yeah, he uh, yeah he doesn't. Eat that. I think he called it rat poison squared, didn't he? Um, I think. So yeah, not a big fan at all. Um, yeah. Yeah, I might but, have to pick, your, pick your brains on on investments then at some point because it's yeah I can see that you you, you know what you're talking about, isn't it? Well, I try, I try. Well, I mean, obviously, I can't give them finance advice to anyone, but um, I can. Um, I, I, but I, I just really enjoy it. I just really find it fascinating. Like, um, I just find it absolutely, utterly fascinating. Because, um, like, uh, just like you, you know, massive companies that you might have heard of, and like, oh, they're doing really well. And then you find out actually when you look at the accounts. Uh, with like the investment software that I kind of subscribe to, you like actually never made a bean and. Uh, in, in in their existence, and you think, oh, well, that surprises me, sort of thing, and and just, um, but then you learn a lot about the world by reading about companies. So then, like that becomes fascinating. So you just become a bit more worldly wise, I think. So um, and it's, I, I think as well as it's just a complete switch off from, um, you know, worrying whether you're you're doing the best for your patients and all that kind of stuff. So it's just kind of nice, um, sort of take your mind away to something different. So um, yeah. I know definitely I, I absolutely agree with that it's interesting like I've been I'm watching there's documentaries I think it's channel four it's doing Zuckerberg Bezos um, I think Elon Musk and I can't remember the other person but that yeah I think it's really interesting when you see these people and the way their mind works and it's it's so different to to anything else but it is really really interesting and it's like I wouldn't particularly want to be any of them but it's it's really fascinating to see how they think or what decisions they've made or just, just just the way in which they operate again not saying that i would want to do that or yeah. you know, it's just, the money always sounds nice but i know that's only a small part of it isn't it really they, they almost say they're not even bothered about the money a lot of them oh, it's wow. more just that the love of doing what they're doing yeah i honestly think so i think so honestly it's just um yeah uh Peter Lynch is another great, great uh, person to read. His books are his books are very um, invest. One up, one up on Wall Street, and then he's got another one. Um, who's who's that? Uh, so Peter Lynch was the he 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 was he was considered one of the greatest fund managers of all time. Like he never like yeah his his funds. I think it was Magellan. I think it was um, in Chicago. Um, but yeah, he was just a legendary investor. Well, he is a legendary investor. He's still alive, but he's um, uh, but he retired. Um, legendary investor. Yeah, Peter Lynch. Um, but his books like are really entertaining because um, it's not. He writes them in a very kind of. He's he's trying to do like a lot of them do. Uh, he's trying to say, listen, what I'm doing is not hard. You just need a bit of understanding. Whereas kind of. Finance can seem very esoteric and not. Oh, oh, right. I don't have the capacity to learn about this sort of stuff. Uh, well, actually, you do, and that's what they're trying to teach you. They're trying to say anyone can do this. Anyone can take control of their uh, financial future by, uh, or you know, uh, by by just investing wisely. Um, and it doesn't take that much if you if you're interested. Um, so. Um, yeah, but then that's their message a lot of the time, which is wonderful. Um, so uh, you've got a bit of peace here, haven't we? Yeah, no, I find it really interesting. Yeah, all right. So last question again. It's not a physio one, but what's your favourite football match ever? Favourite football match? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, favourite football match? Uh, not not Istanbul. 
Because I would assume that may well be one of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, recently, I mean, the 7 0 recently was pretty special, to be fair. And that came out of the blue, really, didn't it? But, um, I mean, that's right up there, surely it's got to be. Um, yeah. Uh, there was one game at my, um, when I was at college, um, my, uh, my mate, uh, I went with, the, I had a mate, um, well, I had mate, uh, Nick and uh, Mark, and um, I'll never forget it. Mark is this, like, you know, sort of six foot, like, sort of bouncer type, you know, like, like wouldn't sort of, you know, he's hard as nails sort of thing. And uh, he'd never been to Anfield before. And I said, right, I'll get us a ticket. So I got me, Nick and uh, Mark a ticket and I drove. Uh, we're only about 18 or whatever. Um, and it was the semi-final of the uh, Cup Winners' Cup uh, in, uh, it was at Anfield against Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, and uh, we got there just a, a, literally a minute, a minute before the game started. And we walked in uh, into the cop. Uh, I'm, I'm certain it was standing at that time. I'm pretty certain it was. Um, oh no, it wouldn't be no, but it was it was. But everyone was stood up because it was uh, big stood and you will never walk alone. And Mark kind of like like this, you know, hard as nails bloke. I've turned around and he's like, you know, he's he's, he's having a tear. He's like, my word, this is awesome. And I was just, so that was pretty special to be fair because. Like I've been, I'd been about three or four years up to that point, but um, I've been going about three or four years on and off. Um, but yeah, that was pretty special seeing seeing uh, one of your mates like welling up, and you were like, yeah, that's cool, you know. And we we lost that game in the end, but but we um, well we won. The, I think we won the game, but we went out. But um, yeah, it was that was pretty special to be fair. Mm, yeah, I've got to say Anfield particularly. I went to watch. I was I was in the Bromby end. I somehow got tickets in the Bromby end with my dad against Liverpool, which he did lose that game, which is maybe why I remember it. But it was, yeah, the, the Anfield is a special stadium, isn't it? Yeah, I was there at that game. Is that we were playing in yellow? Well, they were playing in yellow, weren't they? Yeah, I think it was Dan Egan scored the winner or something. I remember because it was Egan. Your face yeah. was the uh, the brilliant caption in the paper. But it is, yeah, and Anfield is is a, is an unbelievable like, atmosphere. is is good. I've been to quite a few derbies there in my time, of which we've. I went to the recent one where um, Pickford like threw it in, and Origi just popped up. That was that was a that was a bad one, though. Yeah, that was uh, yeah yeah. It was uh, it was good to watch from my end, but yeah, I can imagine it was a tough one to take that one. So uh, yeah, yeah just... In in the in the Liverpool fans then with my mate, it was just like, oh, this is yeah, not not enjoyable. But yeah, it's. Uh... Well, well, I had um, the the, the, the Hill, um, I was invited to go uh, to Sheffield Wednesday um, in the nineties at some point in the nineties uh, or something, and I was sat in the in, in the cop at Sheffield uh, Wednesday, and I was told by my mate Tom, he was like, under no circumstances celebrate these goals uh, if you score, and I was like, all right, we'll do, and then. Uh, my toys scored and I was just jumping for joy sort of thing and I was like oh right okay and uh, I said right I won't do that again and then I, he did it again and then I did it again and then uh, I said oh, all right Tom I, I won't do it again and then he scored again and then I did it again I was like oh that and he was like mate you're literally gonna get us uh, beat up here I was like all right sorry uh, so yeah that wasn't my favourite football game um, yeah 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 I think I think they they knew the uh, the Liverpool fan then after five goals <laughs> 
Yeah, no, brilliant. Look, Anthony, really appreciate your time on that. We have gone off on some interesting tangents, but uh, yeah, I'm very interested in investing and um, football, even if it is Liverpool. So, no, thank you for your time and thanks for sharing your story and best of luck with the recovery. It sounds really exciting. Yeah, thank you. And same to you. No problem. Cheers, Anthony. Thanks. See you, Andy. Bye.